Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Uh, if we've not met, my name is Matt Hatch. Great to be here with you. Um, I hope you enjoy uh, yourself this Sunday. But um, you actually join us um, in the middle of a preaching series where we're looking at, I guess, some of the most troubling questions that people have about Christianity. Uh, and today, I would say, is right at the top of the pile. So um, I actually avoided this uh, when I wrote the original series. So I thought this is going to be too controversial, too hard to preach on. And then someone on the city came and said, we would really like to do this topic. And so it is the big question that my family discusses around the dinner table with regards to faith. Does a loving God send people to hell? And subsequent questions that I guess flow from that, things like how about babies or people who don't put their faith in Jesus, do they go to hell? And I can hear my daughter saying things like, how tight is that if God would do that sort of thing to people? And so um, that's where we're going today. It's probably, um, if you're like me, when we share our faith with our friends and family, this sort of subject is one of the the most difficult ones to know what to say and how to address it and what to do. Um, so this question is a massive question. It's also a question that in one sense we can never escape from because the reality is we will all die someday. And the people we love will all die someday. Around the world, 6,390 people die in an hour. That's over 100 people every minute. It equals something like 56 million people dying each year all over the world. Death can be tragic. It can be sudden. It can be sooner than any of us expected. And for others, it can be long. It can be drawn out. It can be painful. But the fact is, we will all die. We will all attend funerals. We will all say goodbye to loved ones. And the question is, what then? What happens next? What awaits us on the other side of this life? It's one of the most important questions we could possibly ask. What happens when we die? And so today my intent is to very soberly teach you what we believe the Bible says. And my job is to tell the truth, however hard it may be to hear. So our first question is, what is hell? What is hell? Right up front, you need to know the concept of hell comes from Jesus himself. Jesus spoke a lot about the subject of hell. Jesus speaks of eternal fire and punishment as the final destination of the angels and of human beings who've rejected God. He says that those who give in to sin will be in danger of the fire of hell in Matthew 5 and Matthew 18. And the word that Jesus uses in his original language to describe hell is the word Gehenna. And I'm just going to use that. Is the word Gehenna. Gehenna was a place that was outside the city walls of Jerusalem where in uh, in Israel's history, children were murdered. Children were sacrificed to false gods. And so this place had an awful reputation. And so it ended up being the place where the city dumped its rubbish, where it was used as a toilet. It was a place where dead bodies would be left when they didn't know who they were or where to bury them. 
And Jesus says, hell is like Gehenna. And in the teaching of Jesus, the ultimate condemnation from the mouth of God is depart from me. And that's remarkable. To simply be away from God is the worst thing that can happen to us. Why? Well, we believe the Bible says that we were all originally created to be with God, to know God, to love God and have him love us. But the Bible says that sin excludes us from that relationship, from the very reason we were made. All the selfishness in us acts like a barrier. And so if the very thing that we are built for is to be with Jesus, the worst thing that can possibly happen to us is to be away from Jesus. And that's why for the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the Bible, he says the everlasting fire and destruction of hell is exclusion from the presence of the Lord in 2 Thessalonians. And it's helpful just to think about that just for a moment. On earth, there are places so horrible that I would not want my kids to know about them. You know, there there are places so dark, so awful, where such bad things have happened, I never want my kids to, to know about those places. Well, even in those places, one prayer, one voice speaking out to God, and God is in that place immediately. God's love can come to it. Light can shine in a very dark place. God can be there. He can provide compassion. He can provide what only he can provide. But hell is a place where, if you pray, God does not come. It's a place where God isn't. It's a place that none of us would want to go to. Hell is not, in in our culture, people think hell is a place where you get to hang out with your friends. You get to do all the stuff that, you know, you really want to be doing. It's going to be great fun. The last place you want to be with God, where you have to hang out with angels. You know, you want to be where your mates are. And you need to know up front that hell is an unthinkably awful place. It is not somewhere that you would want to be. And sadly, today, some of you may be going there. When you die. Now, fortunately, I do not get to to determine who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. But you guys get to decide. That is the free will that God gives us. In this life, we get to choose. And this sermon is our way of saying to you, would you reconsider your life today? Would you think about it? Just for for these next 20 minutes, would you give yourself to thinking about what happens when you die. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Jesus says, Do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And what's fascinating is he is speaking to his disciples at this point. Jesus is speaking to the ones he loved, and some of whom will eventually be tortured. Some will be sawn in half. Some will be hung on a cross upside down. Some will be flayed alive. Yet he says all of that stuff is a picnic in comparison to hell. Jesus constantly depicted hell as painful fire and outer darkness, a place of terrible misery and unhappiness. And we don't really talk about this stuff very much. And for those of you perhaps just looking in on this conversation, it may surprise you because when you think of Jesus, you think of the most loving man who's ever lived. 
like the nicest man who's ever lived, right? maybe the wisest. And that's important to hold in your mind because if you think of the concept of hell as monstrous, as unjust, as unfair, then you are actually placing yourself over and above the wisdom and love and compassion of Jesus. Because it is Jesus that says this stuff. Why does Jesus talk about it so much? Well, clearly he wants to state there is a hell and he wants as many people as possible to avoid it. So let's look at this story that Hannah uh, kindly read for us um, in Luke 16. It's about two very different people. And it's about what happens after they die. First of all, you've got a man called Lazarus. Why don't you all say that name to me? Lazarus. Lazarus. Right. His name means God helps. Say Lazarus, God helps. And he's just like any street sleeper that you may have walked past uh, in the last week or so who sat down on the pavement collecting money for himself. However, Lazarus is suffering physically. Verse 20 says, At his gate, at the rich man's gate, laid a beggar. His name was Lazarus. He was covered in sores, and he was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. For him, death is a place of great reversal. His life completely changes around in this story. He goes from begging for a meal to feasting with God. Heaven for him is a rags to riches story. Verse 25 tells us that he's suddenly safe. He's happy. He's well fed. He's well loved. He's gone from being a nobody to being a somebody. And in fact, he's the only person in all of the parables that Jesus teaches that has a name. That's how special he is to God. And as this story develops, it's clear that there is no toing and froing from heaven to hell. There seems to be in the story a great divide, a great chasm, a great valley that exists between them. Verse 26 tells us that. Abraham tells the rich man who's also died that Lazarus can't move, that Lazarus is staying put in heaven. And that tells us that when we die, there are no second chances. We are divided. There's no purgatory. There's no place we go to where we're sort of almost grilled and given this opportunity to perhaps make up for the sins that we've done in this life and then we get to go to heaven. There's no reincarnation where we get another chance at living a perfect life, which I believe none of us can live, so we slowly work our way into heaven. No, just as Hebrews 9 verse 27 says, just as a man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, that's exactly what happens. You die, you're judged, and you're sentenced. And those who are in heaven cannot visit hell, and those that are in hell cannot visit heaven. Your eternal destiny and fate is, fate is sealed upon your death. And so this life is your only opportunity you have a decision to make. Now, <clears throat> you're being very polite and listening to me, but the reality is when we have those sort of conversations with people, my, the, the, the reaction that I get most is that is completely unfair. Like, that's totally outrageous. Like, you're saying that God would treat me like that. Me, you know, I'm just like a normal person. I've never really hurt anyone. 
And you're saying God's going to judge me because I don't believe in Jesus and send me to hell. Well, the Bible would answer you. You are focusing on one attribute of God. The fact that God is love. And you're appealing to that attribute and saying, because God is a God of love, he would look at my situation and surely be nice to me. Well, I would gently say to you that perhaps you're focusing on the one attribute a bit too much. Because the Bible does say that God is a God of love, but he also says that he is a God of holiness, that he is a God of wrath or anger. God is actually all those things perfectly at the same time. And when you think about the people you know that are really loving, I'm sure you would agree that at times they have other attributes as well. Sometimes they're filled with anger or wrath. Not just despite of, but because of their love. If you love someone and you see someone hurting them, how do you feel? You feel angry. Because you love them so much. If you, if you at that point just step back and say, I don't really care, you do not really love that person. You know, think of how you feel when someone you love is destroyed because of unwise choices or because of actions or relationships they're in. Do we passively sit back? No, we don't. Anger or wrath is not the opposite of love. Hate is. Hate's the opposite of love. Love and anger can go together. And God's wrath or God's anger isn't just him sitting up on heaven in a throne and taking out his frustrations on people. But rather it's his white hot opposition to the cancer of sin. And the way that sin has destroyed the people that he loves the most. That's what you're getting. He sees us in our sin and we are guilty for not living for him as he's created us to do. And literally the Bible is as clear as this. If we do not repent, if we do not turn from living in that way, we are in the path of his wrath and his judgment. If you don't believe me, this is what the Bible says. This is what Jesus says. John 3 verse 36. Here are the options. Whoever believes in the Son, so that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has what? Has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the what of God remains on him. What's it say? The wrath of God remains on him. So listen, if you're If you're visiting today, if you've been coming a while, the question you need to ask yourselves today is, have I believed in Jesus as my God and as my Saviour? Have I received him as God and Saviour? And if so, eternal life like Lazarus awaits you. But if not, the Bible, Jesus says to you, the wrath of God remains on you. It's still there. It has not lifted. And those are the options. Eternal life or eternal death. Heaven or hell. Blessing or suffering. Grace or anger. They are the options. And there are no exceptions. You, you're not an exception. There is no sitting on the fence. You have to choose. Now, I totally understand that culturally we don't talk in these terms. 
It's a problem for many of us. Yes, we love a God who loves and forgives us and is all nice to us, but one who brings justice or judgment at our our actions, at my actions, well, that's outrageous. How unfair is that? But consider for a moment that you didn't live in South Leeds, in the peaceful West. I know we don't often think of Beeson Holbeck Holbeck as like that, but literally, this is the West. This is peaceful and prosperous compared to many parts of the world. Consider for a moment you didn't live here. Consider for a moment you came from northwest Pakistan or Somalia or even Syria. Syria's been in the news a lot recently. In these cultures, forgiveness, turning the other cheek, makes no sense when you have experienced ethnic cleansing, or rape, or torture, or imprisonment, or racism. Simply being let off by trusting in Jesus is downright offensive to you. However, judgment, someone coming at the end of life and putting everything right, exposing every wrong, I mean, that makes sense. That's totally acceptable. We need someone to do that, because we're not getting it in this life. So who's right? Is it us in the West that says, yeah, God should be all loving but not bring any judgment? Or is it those in other places that say, of course God must judge. I don't want any of the lovey-dovey stuff. Who's right? You see, your culture dictates how you view that answer. The only person that's right is someone who can stand outside of culture and be both perfectly loving and perfectly just. And that's who we believe God is. Dear friend, we are in no position to judge God. We're in no position to do that. We're to trust God, not to judge God. Because we're not God. You are not God. And he is waiting this morning for your response to him. But do not wait too long. Death can come at any point. So that's Lazarus. Lazarus is an inspiration to us, but the rich man, the second man in the story, he serves as a, as a warning. He's there with his purple clothes and linen undergarments. He is a power dresser. He clearly has got some money. He's wealthy enough to have his own house. He's got like a wall around it with a gate. And he has everything he needs and more. And the great reversal for him in death is fascinating for us to watch. You see, when the rich man gets to hell, I want you to see that there is no apology. There is no repentance. He doesn't even speak. He can't even bring himself to speak directly to Lazarus. He simply wants Lazarus to be his waiter and serve him drinks. Verse 24, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. What's great about this story, wonderfully, Lazarus remains silent. There's no gloating. There's just silence. So the rich man changes tact in the story. Verse 27, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let them warn them. Let him warn them, so that they will 
not also come to this place of torment. So if Lazarus can't be the rich man's waiter, perhaps he can be his errand boy. He wants Lazarus to go and warn his relatives. Even in torment, the rich man is in denial. He's seeking his own sense of well-being. He wants to be served. For the rich man, hell is him reaping what he sowed in his life. What I'm saying is this. If you've seen the film Gladiator, the famous words of Maximus, what we do in this life echoes in eternity. Oh, you're like, I really believe that. Don't believe the Bible. But if Maximus says it... Then it's got to be true. The rich man's whole life was selfish. I mean, he just lived for himself. Didn't even notice Lazarus. He was uncaring. He was isolated from God. And those attitudes in this life, they set a path, a trajectory. All of those attitudes are going somewhere over time. And the Bible says they lead to one place, which is hell. Hell is God giving the rich man what he truly desires. So listen, I remember a a conversation in a pub with a friend who uh, he would say he sort of thinks there might be a higher power out there, but definitely doesn't believe in the Christian God. And he, though, didn't get the whole thing of um, when he died, he would go to hell if he didn't believe in Jesus. Like he said, you know, I live a good life. And just because I don't believe in your set of truths, then why should I go to hell? And I said to to him this, why do you think you would go to heaven if you do not like Jesus very much now? Like if heaven is all about Jesus, which it is, like why on earth would God who loves you send you to that place? Because it's really the last place that you would want to be. You see, God sends you to the place that you desperately try to get to all of your life. That's the truth. Ultimately, God loves you enough to give you what you really want. And there is no pleasure in the heart of God to do this. The Bible says this in Ezekiel 33. Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their way and live. But the human race desires everything but obeying and enjoying God. Matthew 15, Jesus says, out of the heart comes all sort of wickedness. We're rebels. In the face of mercy, in the face of the love of God, we still like turn our backs to him and go our own way. And the Bible says in Romans 1, 18 to 24, the way that he judges us is by giving us what we truly want. He gives us over to that sort of sin. And it's interesting. What does it look like for God to show both his love and anger to our world? Well, he gives them over. He gives us over to our sinful desires. And that is hell, giving people what they truly want. You know, I dread to sort of bring my kids in at this point in the talk when I'm talking about hell and all that sort of thing. But the reality is I've got three kids and I remember distinctly a moment where they had gone to a friend's party and gorged themselves on all the food that that we try and restrict. And so they came back, you know, vibrating with the E-numbers that they had consumed. But they'd also come back with a party bag. 
And so for the next half an hour at home, it's like, can we have some sweets? Can we have some sweets? And they've already eaten quite a few sweets. They're like, can we have some sweets? And we're like trying to be good parents. No, we've said no. We mean no. Can we have some sweets? No, we've said no. Can we have some sweets? And they've just, oh no. And suddenly me and Pip realized that there was a lesson to be learned here. And so we gave them over to their desires. And we said, eat all of them. And so they ate all their sweets. Ten minutes later, oh, my belly really hurts. And I think Tom, who's sick quite a lot anyway, he was probably physically sick at this point. Sadly, God does the same to us. He gives us what we want, even though he knows the harm it will bring. You see, by choosing sin, you are not choosing God. And the worst thing that can happen to someone is that they get their own way. Hell is the trajectory of a life that belittles God, ignores God, and keeps resisting God. And that is exactly the sort of life that some of you may be leading right now. In life, there are two groups of people that will either say, my will be done, or will say, thy will be done. Yes, God judges us when we die, but I hope you see that we also send ourselves to hell in the choices that we make. Simply put, heaven is about Jesus, and if you don't like Jesus in this life, why on earth would you want him for eternity? There's an interesting verse in Revelation 22, verse 11. This is talking about, uh, I guess, the time when God comes to judge. And he says, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong. Let him who is vile continue to be vile. Let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. It's like the choices we make in this life just keep being made into eternity. Doing wrong, continuing to do wrong. Choosing holiness, leading to more holiness. And maybe you're here today and you're totally ignoring God. You're rebelling against him. Maybe you can change today. And I can't say it any more clearly. You reap what you sow. The life you're living now has consequences for eternity and we plead with you to reconsider. If that's the choice you're making, we plead with you to reconsider. So what we've done today is we've looked at a very simple story about two men and what happens when they die. And Jesus is doing a few things with this story. I mean, I guess first and foremost, we've not looked in detail, but he's making the point that Jews, the religious leaders of the time, would not believe even if a resurrected man came and preached to them. That's what he's saying through this story. But at the same time, he's wanting to teach us about the decisions we make in this life and the consequences they have for eternity. We may struggle to get our heads around the idea of hell because A, it feels like we're being harshly punished for some small mistakes and B, no one thinks we are, no one ever thinks they're bad enough for hell. But the Bible's teaching on hell answers both those objections. Firstly, it tells us that people only get in the afterlife what they really wanted either to have God as saviour and master or to be their own saviours and master. Or secondly, it tells us that hell is the natural consequence of choices we make in this life. So someone who centres their life on God in this life and entrusts in Jesus is growing into a certain sort of person. Heaven will be their home. Whereas someone who hates God, someone who ignores God, 
someone who refuses to submit their life to God in this life, will never want to do it in the future. Hell awaits them. So the big answers to my kids' questions. Will everyone who doesn't know about Jesus go to hell? The brief answer is yes. What about those miscarried babies, newborn babies, people too young, too incapacitated, too disabled to be able to choose for themselves? Will they go to hell? Well, I would say to you that God is a perfect father and he will make the right decision. King David in the Bible had a son that died at a very young age and David was confident that he would see his son again in 2 Samuel 22. And I personally think people in this category will be shown mercy by our Heavenly Father. What about those that have never seemed to make a decision to trust in Jesus that we know of? So what about our friends and relatives, you know, people that we know have died that haven't to our knowledge, put their faith in Jesus. What happens to them? Well, listen, apart from Jesus, they are going to hell. But God's mercy is so powerful, it's so strong. His desire to save people is is, is so good that even in people's last moments of their lives, they can be saved. And only God knows about those prayers. Remember, even as Jesus died, he's crucified among two criminals, and both criminals are abusing him. Then right at the end, just before one of those criminals dies, at the last moment, he turns to Jesus and says in Luke 23, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, I tell you the truth, today, you will be with me in paradise. In the last seconds of that man's life, that was enough. And who knows how many will be saved this way. But listen, if you're here today and you think, well, that makes it simple for me. Deathbed confession. I'll live exactly how I want to live. Do not be the idiot that does that. No one knows when they will die. I hope I'm telling it straight enough. Do not be the person that says, I will live for myself and then right at the end, I will have someone that I know is a Christian and they will come and pray with me. You may not get that opportunity. Most people don't. You have no idea. Repent now. And what about those that have never heard? All those people around the world that have never heard about Jesus, will they go to hell? Well, apart from Jesus, they will go to hell. But from what I know, God is very creative at leading people to Jesus. When we read the Bible, there is a vast multitude in heaven. Billions will be saved. God's love compels him to visit people that do not have a local church to go and visit. He comes to people in dreams and visions. He has a remarkable way of getting to the 2.5 billion people around the planet that have never heard. And you know one of his best ways? His, one of his best ways is to send people. That's what he really likes doing. And so I don't know around the globe who has heard and who hasn't heard. But here's what I'm worried about for us as a church. Are we telling people? Because he places that responsibility into our hands. How are you doing, friends? Like, if we believe this stuff, how, how are we doing? 
What we know is that when judgment comes on the earth, it will be according to the truth. Romans 2 verse 2, and it will be completely fair. There will be no miscarriages of justice. Psalm 145 says the Lord is righteous in all of his ways and loving towards all he has made. In that moment of judgment, all our inadequacies, all our weaknesses, all our junk will be revealed. And we will not be able to avoid the blame. We will not be able to excuse ourselves or blame it on others. It will be a public occasion. But in the final analysis, every person will stand before God. And after the truth has been revealed, every mouth will be silenced. And judgment will be meted out. Perfectly. So in closing, let me finish with the words of Jesus. John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. If you believe in Buddhism, no. If you believe in Hinduism, no. If you believe in New Ageism, no. Mormonism, no. Nice people, no. Good people, no. Generous people, no. Religious people, no. Not one. Not you. Unless you come through Jesus. That's exactly what Jesus says. And my job is to tell you the truth. Your job is to make a decision. And no decision is making the wrong decision. The question that matters this morning is where are you going? And in this room are people that have not trusted God yet. Let me remind you, hell is a horrible place and God does not want you to go there. In fact, God so wants you not to go there that he sent his only son to that place on your behalf. And so you may, when you hear stories about Jesus, you might think of the cross, where Jesus dies physically. Well, the Bible tells us that horrible death was like a scratch in comparison to the separation Jesus felt when he was cursed by God and sent to hell. He was sent there to take the punishment that we deserve for our selfishness. That is how much God loves you, that he is willing to go through that pain of separation and so is his son, Jesus. Listen, for those of you that don't love God, this life is as close to heaven as you will ever get. If you love Jesus, this life is as close to hell as you will ever get. Good news, if you're a Christian here, it does not get any worse. It only gets better. But listen, if you're not a Christian, it only gets worse. Think about your lives. It only gets worse. Hell ultimately helps us see how much God loves us. That's a remarkable thing to be able to say. He is willing to take the punishment and separation of hell for us. So make your choice. And how do you do that? You repent and you believe. That's all, that's all you need to do. Repent and believe. Thank you.